prayer for our service tonight, and we'll come back at the end and pray for, for these and others, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this evening to be in your house. Uh, it is a privilege. It is uh, uh, an honor, dear Lord, to be able to come and, uh, in the middle of the week and get, get some re-energized, re get uh, um, be around other believers and have fellowship. Dear Lord, I just thank you for safe travels for those who came tonight. It is a messy night. I pray for those who are off traveling tonight that you would just watch over them. Lord, I do pray for this lesson tonight that uh, you would just honor it, dear Lord. Get me out of the way in my words and let your words speak loudly and clearly. Speak to our hearts. Let it apply to our lives so we may be um, better Christians. Better shares of Christ, especially, especially during this time of year, this season of a new birth of the Savior. Dear Lord, we thank you for who you are, all you do for us each and every day. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Did he, did he, I forgot a prayer request of Mike Hall, who has COVID. It's Cordell Sullivan. Oh, I, yeah, I know Mike. I did not know that. Cordell went to, he had it long, just shot it. Yeah. Thank you. Who was that? Mike Hall. Hall? Mike Hall, yeah. It's, uh, I guess it would be Cordell's uh, stepson. Yeah, son. What kind of son? I like sons of that. But yeah, Mike Hall. You, you can't miss him. He's about, yeah, yeah. Very good. Well, thank y'all for being here tonight. Um, again, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, um, starting, um, well, it's actually a long chapter, so starting in chapter, verse 26, but I do want to pick up a little bit earlier uh, in that, uh, just to kind of get us a running start, uh, if you will. But uh, you, you think about it, a lot of times, this time of year, we fall into the trap of thinking the Christmas story begins with Mary giving birth to Jesus in the small town of Bethlehem. We all picture the scene, Joseph leading Mary on a donkey. They arrive at the inn, and of course, there is no room. So she gives birth to Jesus in the stable among all the animals, and then she lays him in a manger. Soon the shepherds enter the picture, and angels fill the sky over the field, singing glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill to men. It's a story that kicks off Christmas in dramatic fashion. But to really understand where the story begins, we need to go back further. And further than we might think sometimes. Uh, so since the beginning of time, everything had been leading up to this time in history. God had been preparing the world for the birth of His Son. Galatians 4.4 says it this way, In the fullness of time, and what that means at just the right time that God had planned. In the fullness of time, God sent His Son. But if you think about it, Jews might be thinking it was a little late. In fact, they might even be saying, thinking it's past time. They had been waiting hundreds of years for their Messiah to come. But in terms of creation, the world had been waiting for this day since the day time began. Go back to Genesis 3. That's where the story of Christmas really begins. The temptation in the garden. Adam and Eve's sin. The fall. After Adam and Eve ate the fruit, 
We see in Genesis 3.15 that God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now what's interesting about this prophecy is that when the scripture typically speaks of the seed in terms of offspring, it references the seed of the man. But here it mentions the seed of the woman, because Jesus will be born of a virgin. Now this is the first promise of Christmas, if you really think about it. God is pointing us to a time when a Savior would be born. So really, if you look at it that way, it's been thousands of years waiting for the Messiah. But the most difficult season just might have been the time before Jesus was born. If you look at it between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we know there was about 400 years called the silent years. Now one quick stat of these difficult years that we're talking about when Jesus was born in those days, um, about almost half, getting close to half of the population back then died in childbirth. The other half had a life expectancy of a grand old age of 37. That was the average. So you get the picture. Probably not the good old days, if you will. Who all read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis? So it's a story about four children that are transported to a, a land called Narnia. Narnia is being ruled by the White Witch. But make no mistake, you know, the Wizard of Oz fans, the White Witch was not good, okay? Now, Lucy is the youngest of the four kids, and she describes what the witch had done to Narnia. Lucy says she has cast an enchantment over the whole country so that it is, do you remember what it is? Always winter and never Christmas. Always winter and never Christmas. I wonder if that's what the culture must have been feeling back then when, when uh, Luke wrote his gospel. Now, now last week in our, our, our community group class, uh, we began with a birth announcement. It wasn't the birth of Jesus, it was another birth. It was not only surprising, but it was specific. The angel Gabriel told the priest Zechariah he was gonna have a son. The heavenly visitor even named the boy. He was going to be called, what was his name? John. He would be a Nazarite, a forerunner of the Messiah, preaching in the style and spirit of Elijah. Now because of his older age, Zechariah's astonishment misled him to question the amazing news that he had just heard. He had difficulty believing this. And so Gabriel rebukes him. He probably, if you think about it, he probably wanted a sign to say, hey, is this really real? Did he get a sign? What was the sign that uh, old uh, Zechariah got? He was mute. He could not speak until his son John was born. So he got a sign. Um, now today, we know that child was John the Baptist. The mother was Elizabeth. Now, that leads us into another story of an uh, announcement of a birth from the same angel, Gabriel, and that mother-to-be is Mary, and that's what we're going to pick up tonight. But as we're going through the story tonight, I want you to be thinking about this, this question. Why Mary? What was so special about Mary that God appointed? 
disappointed her. Be thinking about that. We're going to come back at the end and talk about that. So, as we start the lesson tonight, most of us do. We look forward to the Christmas season, looking forward to seeing family and friends and to get together and, and the food. But the Christmas season can also be a lonely one. We can be in a crowd and still feel all alone. You ever been there? The good news of the gospel is that God has a place for everyone in His redemptive plan. He uses ordinary people in that plan. Mary's story reminds us that God invites people to be a part of bringing about the redemption of His creation. Now, can the Christmas season heighten anxiety and produce fear, even among Christian believers? Yeah, it can, especially this year, right? A lot going on. Can a person feel lonely even in the middle of a large crowd? Now, that doesn't have to be COVID season and all that. That can be any time. Now, Mary's encounter with Gabriel came between the angel's visit to Zechariah. We just talked about that. And John's eventual birth. So this was tucked in between those two events. Now, as adults, John pointed to Jesus and proclaimed him to be the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. As preborn children, though, in their mother's wombs, John moved with joy when his mother heard the greeting of Jesus' mother. And if you think about it, that, that fact actually supports the belief that life begins at conception. Now, these two stories contain, similar, contain similarities, but also some differences. Some of the similarities include that both involve an angelic proclamation about a child's birth before that child was ever conceived. Also, both Mary and Elizabeth were not in circumstances conducive to having a baby. Elizabeth had passed her normal childbearing years, and Mary had never engaged in sexual relations so both situations required divine intervention. Now, but, at, but at the same time, though, those the two stories are unique. One announcement was made to a man, we know that was Zechariah, the other to a woman, Mary. One child was born to a married couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, the other to the espoused wife of Joseph. Now, Mary and Joseph had not consummated their marriage. And John was conceived in the normal manner as a result of intimate relations between father and mother. Although God made it possible for this older couple to have a child. Now Jesus did not have a biological father, but he was conceived miraculous, miraculously. Miraculously. Good job, man. Thank you. By the work of the Holy Spirit. Easy for me to say, right? <coughs> Interestingly, the first part of the story, talking about Luke 1, focused on Zechariah and mentions Elizabeth only kind of in passing when she rejoiced to know that she was going to conceive. The last part of the story, later in Luke 1, talks about Elizabeth's delivery of John. It moves quickly to Zechariah's confirmation of John's name. Now, in between these two segments, that's where Mary's story emerges as the focal point of Luke 1. Now, like Zechariah, Mary, Mary was confused. She was shocked at the news that she was going to have a baby. But above that, it wasn't just any baby. It was the promised Messiah, 
but she was willing to accept her role in the Heavenly Father's plan. As we know, Zechariah didn't exactly get on board at the beginning, right? But she was accepting. She was accepting. The first, uh, if you divide this into three segments, this first segment in the segment in Luke 1, verses 26 through 29, is the greeting. The greeting. Starting in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, normally scriptural references to a certain month meant it was regarding a certain year. But in this case, the sixth month referred to what? The sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Okay? So Gabriel again enters the picture here. Just as the angel appeared to Zechariah with the message from God, Gabriel reappears here with the most important news in history. But again, sent by God. Gabriel, we see, is really God's messenger angel. We know we see him here. You know, back in the Old Testament, you know, he, he wrote a message to Daniel. But we can imagine Theophilus was surprised. Now, Theophilus, if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, we know that's the person that Luke wrote this letter to. Don't know much about him, but his name means God friend. But he no less was surprised that God was interested in a place like Nazareth. Now, Luke, we know what was Luke's occupation? a doctor. So he was very, very methodical in the way he wrote. But Luke simply identified Nazareth as a town in Galilee. Galilee was a region in the north part of Israel, bordered by the Sea of Galilee, the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, on the north is Lebanon and Syria. Uh, the south is Samaria. Now Nazareth was not a town where prominent people wanted to live. In fact, a few years later, uh, Nathaniel in John 1, 46 says, he asked if anything good could come from Nazareth. Now, continuing his introduction, Luke identified Joseph and Mary. Now, notice how Luke made a point of emphasizing the vital messianic issues in this short verse. One, Gabriel was sent to a virgin. Over seven centuries earlier, we know that Isaiah prophesied that a virgin would bear a child who would be known as Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Now, some people argue that the Hebrew term in Isaiah's prophecy could, be, could mean a young girl old enough to marry or a childbearing age. But we know that the testimony, both in the Old and New Testament, the, writer, the writers there affirm the intention there is a female who has not had sexual relations. So, virgin as we uh, know it to mean today. So, one, Gabriel uh, was sent to a virgin. Two, the, this particular virgin was engaged. Now, the Hebrew concept was much different than what we think of it today. A couple went through a wedding ceremony, and they were considered married. Now, except they didn't live together or engaged in marital relations for one year. Now, after a second marriage uh, confirmation, they went on to, to live what we would think is a normal married life. Um, this condition explains why Matthew's Gospel notes that Joseph would have to divorce Mary if he wanted to separate from her. Because again, even though you know, the first marriage, if you will, there was a year they hadn't consummated it, but he was still married. 
So uh, uh, he would have had to divorce her to leave her. So we know she was a virgin. We know she was engaged. And then we know that Joseph was of the lineage of David. To be descended from David not only involved a royal heritage, but prophecy mandated that the Messiah would come from David's heirs. And finally, in a simple direct statement, Luke said the virgin's name was Mary. Now beginning in verse 28, we see this. It says, And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Now, unlike Gabriel's approach to Zechariah, who was the husband of Elizabeth, the angel came to Mary. Now, maybe this was due to Zechariah's status as being a husband, or maybe his status as being the husband in the relationship. Also, he could have been his role. He was a priest. We know that. So that might have been the reason behind that. But, we gotta, we, but, but Mary, on the other hand, was she was only a spouse to Joseph. So it was natural she would hear the announcement first. Now later, of course, Joseph also received an angelic visitation. We know in Matthew 1. Um, so he received a visitation so he might understand the divine nature of Mary's condition. Now, we might expect an angel appearance to begin with a lot of fanfare. But here, the angel merely addressed Mary with a simple greeting. Greetings. <laughs> that was the greeting. Now, this common acknowledgement conveys the idea of just wishing one well. But it also has an exclamation factor. It can also be uh, translated as rejoice. So it was more than just a greeting. It was you know, get ready. This is, this is exciting. Now, Gabriel referred to Mary as favored. This word has the same root word as grace. As grace. Mary's selection as the mother of the Messiah was due to God's gracious favor toward her. The angel declared, the Lord is with you. Now, this phrase did more than just describe God's presence. It also emphasized God's favor to grace her with his purpose. You see, all that was going on was not due to Mary. It was because of God's plan and his favor on Mary. It was all about God. Now, Mary's status in indicates how God blessed her by choosing her to bear the Messiah. Now, note that her position did not elevate her to a special status that would involve prayers and worship to her. Okay? We know that happens in, in, in some uh, religions today. Such reverence and praise is reserved only for God and Him alone. Mary remained merely a woman, although she was an especially blessed woman. Um, we might think Mary would be happy that a supernatural being declared that God had taken special notice of her and given her His favor. However, what does it say? She was deeply troubled. Deeply troubled. Now this phrase described an experience of severe stress. Interestingly, she was not so upset by the sudden appearance of an angel as, she, as much as she was by the statement that the angel brought. She was wondering at the nature of the angel's greeting. Now that word wondering translates into a word into what we would call reflective reasoning. And what that means, it wasn't a, a, a momentary 
um, uh, you know, perplexity. It wasn't a moment in time. It's an ongoing process. She's per per perplexed, and she is, you know, trying to figure this thing out. You know, maybe she said to herself, "Why was Gabriel here, and what does it have to do with me?" Now, God places people and in positions to be used by Him. Now, do we believe that tonight? Do we believe that God places people in certain positions and circumstances to, so that He can use us? I know that. I, we all are in, have certain circles of influence that we live in each and every day that nobody else does. We have influence over people that other people do not. And so we got to remember that. He puts us there to be used by Him. Now, Mary's role in history became more than just being a nice Jewish girl who was engaged to a good man. God worked in the lives of, of Mary and Joseph to bring them to this crucial moment in history to accomplish His divine, divine plan. Now, do you look around at your life? Do you see God's hand on you and your life at certain times? I, th I think so. I, I, I think we all do. Uh, maybe some more than others, but uh, or some instances more than others. But think about your current situation. You know, I, I think if, as long as we're got a heartbeat and breathing air, I believe God's not through with us. So we should all kind of look around, see the situation that we're in right now, and say, "How am I supposed to be be used by God right now? What is His will for me right now?" So. Um, we need to do that. Now we get to the next uh, little section. This is called the Declaration. And it's uh, verses starting verse 30. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So Gabriel tells her not to be afraid. He uses her, her name, Mary. Mabel, just to make, make sure she knows it's personal, but also to give her some comfort. The basis why she could find comfort lay in the fact that she had found favor with God. Now, favor comes from the word grace. I think we mentioned that. and describes the unmerited goodwill of God. Now we know God's grace cannot be earned. While Mary's character was obviously above reproach, God's choice for her to bear the Messiah was based on His gracious purpose. That's all. Now the angel's preliminary greeting was focused on God's favor toward Mary. But now the subject is about to deal with her role in God's plan. And here we'll see three short statements in a single sentence that define how Mary would participate in the greatest event history has ever known. First, she would conceive. She would conceive. We cannot appreciate the emotions that Mary uh, must have felt at this statement. The time had come, had not come for her and, Mary, uh, her and Joseph to consummate the marriage. So she was naturally confused. She was probably also concerned. Second, she was going to give birth to a son. Third, she was going to name the child. She was to name the child Jesus. Now, in Jewish society, keep in mind, a child's name 
was usually honored, uh, it usually honored someone in the family. So, so that had to be confusing as well. But later we know in Matthew 1, an angel would inform Joseph that the boy would be named Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. So um, at the point, at this point, the angel began to describe the, the, the characteristics of the Messiah. First, Jesus would be great. He would have exceedingly important stature. Secondly, he would be called the Son of the Most High. Now, knowing the Jewish heritage that Mary had, she knew that the Most High was a title for God. So I'm sure she was wondering about this time, how could her son be called the Son of God? So Mary's, Mary's amazement was probably through the roof at this point. And third, a third Messianic promise involved the throne of his father David. Receiving the throne of his ancestor David was a direct reference to the rule of the Messiah. Now, Jews understood the phrase house of Jacob specifically related to the nation of Israel. But the Messiah's authority was unlimited. It wasn't based on geography, it wasn't based on ethnicity. This statement was, or what the Messiah's authority was unlimited. It, it, it wasn't just for the Jews. Now, this statement was a direct fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And I want to read this because um, it's talking about the house of David. It's talking about the, the lineage of Christ. Uh, this is Isaiah. And our, our class actually studied Isaiah last quarter. Um, so it kind of tied in nicely. But I want to read Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. And we've heard six many times this time of year. For unto us a child is born... That's humanity. Unto us a son is given. That's the deity. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So here we see that prophecy over 700 years early, earlier coming to fruition. Okay? Now, to have the throne of David and to reign meant that the Messiah's dominion would be vast and his kingdom would be forever and ever eternal. Jesus is the promised promised Messiah who reigns eternally. He was not merely a champion of the Jews. He was the Savior of the world. Now, taking all this into account, how might you describe Mary's emotions when she heard the angel's declaration? Now, go back and think, how old was Mary? I've heard anywhere from 12 to 14, maybe 15. I'm sorry, that's, that's a little girl, okay. That's, that's middle age. That's middle age, yeah. 37, yeah. Probably close to middle age, I guess. But uh, you had to understand, so this young girl, I can just imagine, I imagine how I would be, so I can imagine what she would be feeling at this point in time. So here we get to the question. These verses 34 through 37, this is a segment entitled The Question. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not 
had sexual relations with a man. The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, asking a question doesn't always mean to question. Now, we've got to notice the difference here. Mary was asking a question when you compare it to what, um, what, um, oh, goodness. Thank you, Zechariah. He was actually questioning, how can this happen? Here's a priest who should know how it would happen. Because God is all-powerful. So Mary wasn't questioning, you know, this, would this happen? She said, how can this be? Okay? So when she heard the amazing news, she naturally had to be puzzled. So she was going to ask. She naturally asked, how can this be? Mary's bewilderment, bewilderment was not a doubtful question of faith, but a sincere inquiry about how she could have a child without having sexual relations with a man. We also notice the difference in how the angel responded to Mary. Gabriel rebuked Zechariah for his doubt, but responded to Mary's innocent question with care and, and concern. Although Gabriel did not give specific details, he emphasized that the conception would occur as a result of divine intervention. The Holy Spirit was present at the beginning of creation, and it still functions today in the lives of believers. Now, we should not be surprised that God, that God the Spirit would be involved in the birth of God the Son. I want to say that again. We should not be surprised that God the Spirit would be involved in the birth of God the Son. The phrase, the power of the Most High, referred to the supernatural work of God. Now, God spoke the universe into being. We look at, see that in Genesis 1. If we believe that, then a miraculous conception uh, was no problem for him. We've got we to tie those two together. Therefore, the child would be holy. He would bear none of the original sin that was passed down through men since Adam. Completely innocent from conception, Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. And then in verse 36, it says this, And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month, that's what we referred to earlier, the sixth month for her, and she was called childless. To illustrate God's miraculous work, the angel told Mary to consider her relative Elizabeth. Mary knew that Elizabeth was both childless and she had exceeded the age for childbearing. She did not expect her to ever become a mother. Yet in her old age, Elizabeth had conceived a son. Elizabeth had concealed her pregnancy for five months, and we know that. When Gabriel appeared to Mary, Elizabeth was in her sixth month, so word of her condition. Ever heard that? Her condition when someone's pregnant. Her condition had probably reached Mary and others in the family. Then we get to verse 37. Look at that. For nothing will be impossible with God. I hope we believe that today. Nothing will be impossible with God. The point for Mary was that just as God had done a miraculous work in giving Elizabeth a child, God could accomplish his purpose through Mary. 
Mary's question about how she could have a child without intimate relations with a man was focused on human possibilities. We tend to consider in terms of how the known laws of nature work, don't we? Like Mary, we need to recognize the limitless power of our God. The angel reminded Mary and all of us that nothing will be impossible with God. God's power is seen in his redemptive plan. We may not understand how eternal Christ, who is present in eternity past, um, we may not understand uh, how he could be conceived in human form from virgin's womb. We may wonder at the miracle of the Christmas story. However, we can rejoice that God's infinite power accomplished his plan of salvation and made it possible for us, you and me, to be reconciled to him through Jesus. Let's be honest for a second. You don't have to answer it out loud. Have you ever questioned God? I'll answer. I know I have. At least questions, why is he doing something? Or why is he doing it this way? I have. I bet you have as well. Was it a question of doubt? Or simply wondering how God could accomplish something that you needed to happen in your life. And how did faith help you resolve the issue? How did our faith help resolve that issue of doubting God? Now, now we get to verse 38. This is a single verse, but it talks about the commitment. Verse 38. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. Here's Mary responding. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. The first step to commitment is to recognize who we are in relationship to who God is. Mary trusted the Lord. She might not fully comprehend everything she had heard, but she believed the word of the Lord and the Lord of the word. Let me say that again. She might not have understood everything that was going on, but she believed the word of the Lord, and she believed the Lord of the word. Accordingly, Mary yielded to the Lord's plan. We need to understand the implication of her response. She said, may it happen to me as you have said. She accepted that the word, she accepted that the word the angel spoke was a direct message from God. Hers was not the stoic surrender of someone who had no choice. No, rather it was the embrace of the master and his purpose in her life. She could do nothing to accomplish this miraculous birth except to accept the Heavenly Father's design. Now like Mary, believers are to submit humbly to God's purposes. See, he desires to accomplish so much through each of us. If we just let him, if we just simply trust him, allow him to fulfill his will through us for his glory. See, we don't get the glory. We're just a vessel he used to, for him to get his glory. And if we keep that in perspective, then everything's going to work out okay. All right? Think of this. What are some calls that you and I, that we today, may face as a result from following the Lord. I think it's going to get even harder. 
months and years. Again, some of the costs that we're going to face as a result from following the Lord. Now I'm going to go back to the question I asked at the beginning. Why Mary? Why did God choose Mary? Was it about her ability? Or was it about her availability? See, she was not a royalty. She didn't live in a palace. She had no political power or position. She wasn't a person of influence. She was just a poor Galilean girl. She was barely a teenager. No special education. No great accomplishments. That should give us hope that God can use somebody like you and me, shouldn't it? Now there are many beautiful ways to describe Mary, the mother of Jesus. But what stands out most is her humility. Her humility. Most of us are very interested in receiving God's favor in our lives. But not all of us are all that interested in being humble. Included. Now, if you go to the bookstore, there are several sections on self-help, whether seminars or books or what have you. These self-help sections uh, teach you how to be successful or powerful or influential. But if you'll notice, there are probably, I have never seen any, there are no self-help seminars that teach you how to be humble. And when you think about it, Mary had plenty of reasons to be proud. Of all the women in the history of the world, she had been the one chosen to give birth to the Messiah. It could have been easily, uh, a, it could have uh, easily been a source of pride to be complimented so highly by this angel. She could be like the proud parent or grandparent that we sometimes avoid. Let me explain this. You ever ride around and you see these bumper stickers on the back of cars? My kid is fill in the blank. The best kid, kid ever, or, or what have you. You know, think about Mary if you took it back to those days. Maybe she would ride around on her mule and her buggy, and she had a bumper sticker on the back of her uh, buggy. My son walks on water. <laughs> or my son created your honorable student. <laughs> Certainly, most of us struggle with pride in some form or fashion. And if you don't admit that, well, there's some pride right there. We all struggle with it. It's pride that keeps us from truly experiencing God's favor in our lives. And we go to great lengths to look as impressive as possible. In a survey, one of the most dreaded questions you can get on a job interview is, what is your greatest weakness? Now, it's a, tough, it's a tough one to answer because if you don't answer it, you come off this area. If you do tell them the truth, then you might not get the job. Now, as we, and we give a weakness, but quickly disguise it as a strength. You ever done that? Sometimes when we answer, we try to give a weakness and we disguise it as a strength. I'll give you an example. I tend to be such a perfectionist about everything that I can be pretty hard on myself. Is that called a backhanded compliment? 
In a similar way, over the years, churches have tried to assign Mary impressive titles to make her more worthy of God's favor. She's been portrayed as a queen of heaven. Some give an idea that she's a mediator between us and God. But the Bible says, no, there's one made mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, as in 1 Timothy. No, Mary describes herself as a humble servant. James 4 says this, God mocks the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's verse 6. Later in verse 10, he says, Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you in due time. Think about this. If you could ask God anything, or ask him for anything, what would you pray for? And maybe you do pray for something specific. I thought about this, and I've said it for years, and maybe this sounds very sanctimonious, but pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom to be able to think, you know, to think like God would want us to think. Think like Jesus thought. The next thing I think we need to ask for is humility. Because, you know, we say, we say that's easy to do, but man, our pride raises up at times when we least expected, and a lot of times we don't even recognize it. We don't even recognize it. Pride is always getting in my way, maybe yours too, even when we don't realize it. But if we really want God to use us, we need to ask Him to reveal areas in our life in which pride sometimes takes over. So in that way, let's be more like Mary. It is Mary's humble spirit, her humility, that draws the favor of God. And it's the same characteristic that opens the door to God's favor in our lives. So that's the lesson for tonight. Any questions or comments? Uh, you know, we, we always read Luke 2 at Christmas time. Sometimes we forget, skip over Luke 1 and look, hey, how did this, you know, how did this come, you know, come about and some of the things that led up to it. Thank you.